1: Hello, and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode 84. I'm comedian Simon Kane, and for those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, and today, podcasting. Well, that's actually underselling him. He is influential on the stand-up circuit, on the touring circuit, on the writing circuit and in podcasting. Richard Herring is a comedian, writer and podcasting pioneer. He's been performing comedy for over 25 years and is known for his strong work ethic and his drive to perform, taking a new show to the Edinburgh Fringe every year for a decade and then extensively touring it. We talked about how he juggles and manages so many different projects as well as his family, his anxiety and a bit of mental health stuff concerning his downtime as well as his latest show which follows on from uh, the best show and how that's playing on his mind with audiences expectations of what they're going to get after a show that he's actively toured and said is his best stuff I loved it I think if you're interested in podcasting or building an audience online or if you just want to hear how a comedian deals with pre-show jitters on a tour show that didn't sell very well those are his words not mine uh, you're in the right place I felt I just really enjoyed it, I really enjoyed talking to him and getting some information about what it's like producing content, putting it up there for free, and the weird act of faith that you have to go through to hope that people will give you their attention, because that is currency in this day and age, that is the most important thing, which is why I'm going to keep this intro as short as possible. If you're listening to this when this has come out, myself and Richard are both at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which starts in a few days' time. So if you'd like to see his show, he is at the Pleasance Courtyard every single day at 7.30pm doing a show called Oh Frig, I'm 50. And if you'd like to see me, I am at Sweets Venue at 5pm every single day except Wednesdays when I am rudely awakened by the (laughs) dustman. Oh god, that's going to get old by the end of the fringe with my flyering technique. But it's every day except Wednesday when I get rudely awoken by the dustman. If you uh, want to reserve a seat for mine, it's £5 uh, or you can pay what you want on exit. And Richard's uh, prices vary on the day depending on what day you go and see him or whether it's a two-for-one thing. So if you have a look in the show notes, you'll be able to see all that information. But for now, this is Richard Herring.
0: Um, The reason I began podcasting was um, because we sort of realised how easy it was. I'd done a radio show with Andrew Collings and um, I'd sort of come on and done half an hour with him about the papers in his six music show. And then that ended and we'd sort of missed it. I'm thinking we hadn't done it for a year. We'd always enjoyed doing them. And then he basically did a podcast for Word magazine and realized that you just needed a computer and a nerd. Uh, And so we thought, oh, it might be fun to do it. Uh, And I think initially we sort of probably thought, hey, if we do this and and people hear it, they might give us a radio show again, which did eventually happen. Uh, But then I sort of quickly, I think, realized um, that it was just more about the... You know the freedom to do whatever you wanted to do, so kind of quite well, I think we started quite sensibly and then uh, about episode f- three or four, I called his mum a fucking idiot and from then then from there on in it was uh, sort of realizing the freedom to you know you know, sort of, it was very much the wild West you could say what you wanted and I think you sort of still can really uh, and it's uncensored and and no one's uh, arbitrating it apart from yourself, so I kind of like that autonomy of it and i kind of recognized i recognized that it was i had loads of ideas for stuff and you sort of tried to do them on radio and tv and even if you're successful it takes ages and often someone interferes and ruins it and then you know or it doesn't happen at all so it's just the immediacy of being able to do something um really easily and put it up was yeah. uh, was what appealed to me i think initially
1: yeah, because you'd, you'd always done radio and TV up to that point. Yeah. So you, you've you sort of seen it from both sides. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, you know, I'd done lots of TV and uh, and radio in the 90s. And then, you know, I was still doing stuff in the... I started podcasting uh, in 2008, I think. Um, it was, because it was the... Uh, I sort of met my wife and me and Andrew started podcasting in more or less the same month. Um, so it's nearly 10 years ago. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, it just I I you know I was still doing radio shows and the odd bit of telly um but it just felt like I was having lots of ideas that weren't being picked up but that I thought were good ideas. And also it was it sort of I can't can't quite remember the timing of it but it was around about the time that um the Saxgate thing happened as well and then the radio got very edgy about anything even like the, I remember doing a panel show and them saying don't swear during the warm up in case there's a Daily Mail journalist in who'll you know give the BBC a hard time. So the BBC were so frightened um, of uh, you know anything that could be a bit controversial, so to be able to do something, you know. So with as it occurs to me, which I was, I was a couple of years down the line of doing stuff, um, you know, I just thought, oh, this is great. I got the freedom to do whatever I wanted. But actually, with that freedom, you kind of quickly go, oh, actually, you know, there's no fun. There's no fun in it if you're allowed to do it. So you sort of calm, you know, you calm down a little bit and and uh, and create your own parameters. But uh, yeah, so it was, it was all it was all those things. But it mainly, you know, it was I wasn't getting overwhelmed with work, and I was and I was struggling a bit to do the work that I want that people wanted me to do, and I didn't quite know what direction I wanted to go in with my career. So I was doing stand up again and. Um, And I just, it felt more like stand-up, you know, stand-up's great because you just come up with an idea and you go and do it, and then if the audience like it, it's successful, and if they don't, it's not. And I kind of like that about comedy, that it's sort of self-perpetuating, and self-regulating, it's got its own barometer, you know, it's probably the only job in which you're assessed every single night (laughs) you do it as a stand-up comedian. Um, And so, yeah, so podcast felt like the same sort of thing, really. So initially it was with Andrew, and then, you know, I thought, thought, well, there must be more scope. I still feel there's a lot more scope to podcasts than really anyone's doing maybe the americans are starting a little bit more but i think you know you can sort of do your, your own tv and radio shows of any kind you know whereas it, it is mainly people chatting
1: yeah no yeah. I, I was thinking about that before where because where, you started sort of you're sort of always looked at as quite a pioneer of podcasting but you sort of started in 2008 and obviously it's, it was it was around a lot longer before yeah, yeah. then so were, were there any podcasts you were listening to that kind of made, made you think i've got i really want to this is so easy to do this is
0: no I, would, I didn't really listen to podcasts before and i didn't really know much about them so i knew they existed and uh, i've subsequently ricky gervais's one was the kind of probably the first one that people really got behind which i then you know i did listen to some of that and it's really good um, but no it was just you know it was just we realized we could do it and it felt like a bit of fun and then i you know i sort of and as it went on i realized there was a lot more to it than just it being fun and being a way of um well you know i've been doing i've been writing a blog since 2002 which is you know again not quite the first person to do it but certainly you know amongst the first people do it and certainly one of the rare people who carries on doing it certainly every single day um and uh you know that was a good. I felt like when I started doing that, I thought, well, this would be a good way for, to get people to come to the website every day and be able to publicize my stuff. And I suppose with podcasts, I sort of quickly realized you've got an audience there, and we quickly kind of got into the the iTunes top ten, and we're you know we're amazed to see us coming first in the iTunes top ten, which is you know I don't quite understand how they judge it, but of course there weren't there wasn't all that much competition back then. But it meant that everyone was li- you know everyone who listened to podcasts was sort of listening to us. Uh, or lots of people were, and um, and I sort of very quickly noticed when I was touring, my numbers were suddenly, you know, doubling from the quite small numbers. We're we're going back in time a bit today because we're in Radlett, where I've hardly sold any tickets. So this is a bit like a 2008 gig. But I would <laughs> I would do, you know, I do a lot of gigs for 30 or 50 people and then within two or three years of starting the podcast a you'd meet loads of people who go oh i love the podcast and your audience would be 100 to 200 or 300 you know so it really helped along with other things it really helped build up an audience and i kind of realized it was a sensible i've sort of realized subsequently it's it's a sort of sensible business decision um but i'm not a businessman i never thought of it like that i kind of thought i've just got idea some people go well why would you give stuff out for free and, you know, A, well, it's just dicking around. So it's not like, and in that dicking around, we created, you know, like Hitler Moustache came out of a, pod, a Collins and Herring podcast where, where I suddenly decided to scare him by having a Hit the Moustache for no reason. And then you, we started discussing that, and then that became that show, you know. So it was a great way of generating material. It was great of generating an audience. And then, you know, you give something away for free, and then people generally will feel embarrassed after 100 hours of it. give you a pound yeah so you know and that's actually but then i sort of realized that's all you need and that's what uh, if if the podcast could really work and it still doesn't quite work like this um if everyone who listened gave me a pound a year or a pound a month i could do absolutely any you know i could create anything i wanted to i could be doing movies basically if i got a pound a month from everyone who listened you know so and that doesn't seem unreasonable for you know 25p an hour or something you know so yeah. um i think that's still and i f- and i feel that it will still happen with podcasts or th- some internet-based entertainment it feels like you know it felt very much te- eight, five or six years ago like this could be the beginning of the movie industry you know that this, this is ch- someone's going to be the charlie chapman who gets a dime off every single person who sees his film and is a millionaire within a year and you know obviously that's happening on YouTube and things like that. But generally from people being sponsored rather than, every, you know, if, if if you could find a way of making the listeners understand if they would all just give a tiny little th- throwback to you, even if it was 10p, you know, every time they listen, then uh, then that would lead to be able to do amazing stuff. But it's sort of gradually, you know, we do, I've managed one way or another to fund things. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, so yeah, but, but initially, well, I just didn't care about the money. I didn't care. I just thought, this is great. I've got, you know, I've got a platform to do comedy. But then I suddenly realized, hey, this is, you know, A, I'm getting more people coming to see me on tour. B, you know, in 2009, 2010, I started getting invited back on all the panel shows. In fact, not invited back. I was never really on them before, you know, so I was on uh, Buzzcocks and I got news of you and stuff because of the podcast, I think, you know, so it led to other work. um, And it just, you know, and, and I think it sort of does work as a... I didn't think about it too much and I never and I sort of still don't think about it too much for fear that I will ruin it if I think about it too much, but you know it does it does sort of work accidentally is a great business model because you know people and uh, most people are decent at the end of the day but what I like about it as well is that or you know almost socialist thing about it is that it's free everyone can listen to it, and people who can afford to pay should maybe pay a little bit for it mm. uh, and but I, you know that's why I've never got into really charging people. Uh, at source because I want everyone to be able to listen to, if, you know, even if they can't afford to pay for it.
1: It's, yeah, it's about value, giving yeah. online which is sort of the thing that uh, I think traditional outlets are kind of losing out on at the moment because they're sort of chasing clickbait they're not sort of trying to provide any form of value which is yeah. why indie creators are actually making better content in some instances than some of the more established.
0: Yeah, well you know, but you've got that as a creative person you're always fighting against that um you know that, that wall of executives that in a TV channel a radio channel uh, you know who telling you that you need this sort of thing or that sort of thing or want this sort of thing or don't want that kind of person so what I love about it is you know if you're not in vogue or if you're of you've got ideas that if you've got ideas that yeah. got ideas that, uh, <laughs> that wouldn't work on TV like playing yourself at snooker uh, endlessly um, then you can still do them you know so that as a creative person it gives you the opportunity to uh, try stuff um, and you know, and that it just depends. If you, I think, if you want to be paid and if you want to be famous, podcasts probably aren't the way to go. But if you want to be creative and you want your stuff to be out there, and if I just sort of realised with stand up, you know, all I care about, I didn't care about um, thousands of people coming to see me. All I care about is having an outlet to do that, do my stuff. So if ten people are coming to see me in a little pub, I'm still able to perform to them, and that's enough for me. Mm. Um, and so it's it's not that I wouldn't perform to 3,000 people if 3,000 people ever wanted to come and see me. But, um, you know, so just I think it was realising that there's this outlet for stuff. And, you know, it's your own channel, and it's incredible. When we started in the 1990s, if you wanted a radio show, you had to work and get a radio show. And, you know, we somehow managed to do that, but God knows how we did it. And and then, you know, you would do 20 radio shows and be judged on those. But now you can do a thousand radio shows of your own and put them out and learn and get better and, you know, and do whatever you want to do. Mm. So, you know, it means people can no longer sort of do... It's that, is that thing, isn't it, people to go, oh, I'm writing a novel, but no one will ever publish it. But, you know, now you can do everything yourself, so there's no excuse. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah. It's back. Um, well, no, I was going to ask because your podcasts are so different to your sort of uh, idea-driven show because yeah. they're, they're so specific. Do you find that you get people coming and sort of not enjoying it because they, they were expecting the podcast or expecting? I think something more like
0: they come expecting not to enjoy it that much and, and think it's better <laughs> than they thought it was. I think really, I think they think it's going to be because the podcasts are so slapdash. Yeah, and the character play on the stop on the podcast is largely, you know. Either just childish, or you know, deliberately not funny, or you know, or there's 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 lots of sort of levels to what I'm doing it, but it's a different thing that I'm doing in my stand-up. So I usually find people who come to see the stand-up are just sort of surprised how good I am at stand-up mm. because again, you know like if you listen if you listen to the Less Square Theatre podcast, I th- I think you've got to understand the distinction, you know, yeah, you can't compare uh, like a podcast to a TV show with loads of writers and loads of time and loads of budget. Um, but also, most of my podcast stuff is pretty much in, either entirely improvised or written the day before. So the, any stand-up I do at the beginning of the Less Square Theatre podcast is literally me making something up in the moment. You know, I might thought, oh, on the tune, I might thought, oh, maybe I'll try and talk about that, I'll try and talk about that. It's the way you write a stand-up show, but you don't usually broadcast the first time you try that stuff so you know a lot of those things will fail and then some people go oh rich I've heard Richard Tang stand upon the desk with podcast, and it's not very good yeah. um but then if they, if you came to see me do a home show you would hopefully go oh that is good so yeah I don't think you know I think maybe sometimes people are expect wanting to you to do ham hands and whatever and shreks and stuff which I don't really do in any of the in any of my life stuff but um uh, you know I think but also I think attract i I've, my audiences have always been really great and interesting and, and clever people, which I'm very lucky about. And that's, you know, there's there's loads of things you, you know, you, I think as a younger man, I was more ambitious and you want to be that big star and you want to have thousands of people come to see you and, uh, and loads of money. And then actually you sort of realise, I'd rather have this sort of tight group of, you know, a small number of people that it seems to be growing, but who you come and if other acts are on with me, they go, your audiences are so lovely. They, you know, they get comedy and they're not cunts. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so... In a way, you know, by doing it really slowly and building up this audience, I've got a lovely audience to play to, who kind of get where I'm coming from, you know. And even if, even if, you know, that, and a, a surprised rather than being disappointed, it's not like the podcast. I'd surprised and delighted that it's something a little bit different than the podcast.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think a lot of people perceive it as because you've been going quite a long time. By the time you started podcasting, that you were quite established, which meant that yeah. you kind of had a, a leg up on yeah. some people starting. Would you say that was fair? I don't or? think it.
0: You know, I, d- I don't, it's a little bit fair, but not really. Because like we didn't, you know, I think that's in terms of popularity. Lee and Herring, we never got, we toured not hardly anyone came to see us. Um, we weren't no well known. Um, so if anything, I had to slightly, you know, and I was playing much more of a character in Lee and Herring than Stuart was. And I, you know, I had to try to overcome that and, and find the real me or, you know, another real me. Uh, another character of me. But also, I just don't, you know, I don't think it's borne out. We, I was touring to thirty people coming to see me at gigs. You know, it was it was better than nothing, but it wasn't a huge groundswell of uh, people. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, I came back to do stand up, and the, there was a small advantage of I would just, you know, I've been on TV four years before, and so people wanted to give me gigs. Uh, and yeah, maybe uh, to a certain extent, it, it helped you build up an audience a little bit, but i don't i don't think it's um i don't think it's that big a difference and i think you can do it even so you know and i've been doing podcasts for 10 years and it hasn't you know it's only led to more podcasts which i'm happy with because <laughs> i'm enjoying them but uh you know it's not like i'm in most i'm not on most people's radars and i never was on most people's radars even when you know even when people would see me as being successful we would You know we never won awards we were never in that in crowd we never invited you know i was never invited on to panel shows uh never invited to act in other people's things no one ever came to see us live really so you know i think we were we were like a minor success but yeah maybe in podcast podcast terms that was enough to give me you know i suppose more successful people wouldn't be doing podcasts at that time and less successful people might find it more difficult to get an audience but i also think if you do a good podcast people will find out about it pretty quickly and, you know, y- and you can build up from nothing in, with a podcast. But also learn what you do. You know, in, in a way, you don't want people to hear y- your early podcasts. Yeah. I think, you know, if you're a 20-year-old kid starting out, a young person sorry, starting out, and, um, you know, you, you're still finding your feet. I'm gl- delighted the stuff I did when I'm 20 isn't available freely online. You know, some of it's around if you really <laughs> struggle to find it. But, um, you know, it's it's you, you make mistakes. Mm. So... Uh, yeah you know i mean it was good it was good to, um, the probably the main thing was i had what was it f- 15 years of being a professional comedian was probably more useful than any fame i had which was minor i think
1: uh, if you were starting again now what would you do differently as a part pod- in podcast yeah
0: i would be 20 years younger than i was when i started um you know i think that's all i think about is it's a very but i think again most most of a creative career is this is you know it's a long game and it's not just about being successful very quickly it's not about being lauded really it's about learning how to do what you're doing so I kind of the only my only regret about podcasts is that I didn't what it wasn't able to start doing them um, 10 or 15 years earlier because I think it would have given you yeah I think I'm gonna run out of steam and run out of uh, runway because I'll be dead (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> whereas you know i think someone starting at 20 i think could uh, could have a 20 year career that then f- blossoms into something like amazing but uh, after i've been doing podcasts for 20 years i'll be you know 60 mm. so you know i might still be podcasting but i, don't, I think it it gets uh, harder to um build up the energy and time to do it i suppose so um uh, I don't know, I, you know, I, I think you. Uh, even the things that don't work and the mistakes you make I think are just sort of vitally important in, in becoming, in learning what to do. So there's no point in saying I wish I hadn't done that because by doing that thing that was bad or that didn't work, you learned a lesson that you wouldn't have learned if you hadn't done the thing. Mm. So all the all the ups and downs kind of help to make you what you are uh, and hopefully make you um, better at what you're doing. So um can't think of anything... Uh, what what there, was that? Was that is there anything there was something that I, and I well the thing I regret most about my career is not doing stand up earlier, really? And so it's, it's the same thing. If I just wish I'd I didn't like doing stand up, and if I just persisted through my 20s at doing stand up, I'd have had 10 more years of being a stand up before I then started being a stand up again and would be better at it, you know. So yeah. that's all I think just having had more time to do it would be would be good but you know hopefully I will live till I'm 100 and then I will have enough runway to you know that's it's the it's the potential and I'm, I'm not I'm not good at networking I'm not good at pushing myself and I'm not I've I've the, the probably the um the thing I have that in my, aside from maybe not being talented enough uh, that means my career uh, doesn't go as well as some other people's in that in those terms is that I think I I sort of believe things should work on fairness <laughs> uh, and I have that kind of sense of decency that I think it should be s- you should work and it should be your turn and you sh- mm. and if you're good you will get noticed whereas actually you know the people who push themselves and are ambitious and say hey I'm great look at me I'm clever and great you must come <laughs> and see me actually end up doing better than the people sitting back going oh people will realize I'm good if I sit back <laughs> and just do if I just I'm um, good for 20 years people will realize that I'm good but it doesn't really work that way so, yeah. I mean, you know, maybe I'd be more pushy, but I, if, I was, if I was more pushy, I wouldn't be who I, who I am. So, it, it, you know, and I really, it really suits me and especially suits me now. I would, you know, 10, 20 years ago, I would have wanted something different. I would have looked at this and gone, oh, that's sad and pathetic. But, you know, I would rather be known by a small amount of people who really like what I'm doing and get what I'm doing and you know and you walk down the street if they recognize you it's hey hello rather than being known by millions of people some most of whom don't really know who you are or don't really like you that much so you walk down the street and you go Is that wanker fuck you you know you do gigs and, and half the people are just come to see because you're on the telly and then you do something a bit esoteric or weird and then they're angry so um you know it's it, it's worked out very well in creative terms and i, I make a very nice living and i uh, create nearly all my own work And I have a kind of anonymity in real, in the real world, which I really value Uh, because you know I've got a child now, and just being out with your child, you you don't want to be the centre of attention. You know, you don't want to, you know, don't want your your fun time with your family to be interrupted by loads of people coming up and going. (laughs) I think you're funny, (laughs) so uh, that doesn't happen. So it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Occasionally,
1: someone goes, "I'm listening to, I'm listening to you (laughs) now. I'm listening to you,"
0: which is weird for them.
1: well, you, you make a lot of content. And, yes, I and, do. And you and you put you put it all out pretty immediately yeah. or very quickly after you've made it. Do you find like you're good with like downtime, or you're good with like taking breaks, or and how do you not get burnt out?
0: Um, it's, it's difficult not to get burnt out. I think, and sometimes I do get burnt out, and I have been burnt out at times. Um, and I'm not very good at downtime. I, I but I kind of you know I like my job, and my job is my hobby at the same time. <laughs> So, it's just, the difficulty is when sudden you know, like actually, <coughs> just as this year, at the start of this year, we're doing As It Occurs To Me, which was a massive undertaking, you know, a crazy undertaking really, I should never have done it. Uh, it was great, we got kind of £100,000 from Kickstarter to do it, which was amazing, but that's not enough to pay myself anything for doing any of the writing of it, uh, and there's a lot of writing of it and a lot of work in it, and, and for everyone, and then we, you know, uh, channel, the Channel 4 picked up and wanted to do a taste tape of a uh, sitcom I'd written for them and Radio 4 wanted me to write a sitcom for them and I was on tour uh, and I was doing, you know, all the other stuff and the Les Sweat It podcast and everything, you know, coming out uh, and it was just like crazily too much stuff. But in a way that I quite enjoyed, to be honest. But it, but it was just like that was nuts. So it's you know, you, and you just have to. And I've got a family, and I want to make sure that I'm there for my family, and I'm making sure that I'm not um, working all the time. So, but you know, you're self-employed, so you have to. When certainly, when the paid work comes in, you have to sort of take that. When it comes up, you can't go on. Oh, no, actually, sorry, because two things have come at once. I'm going to turn down this uh, this opportunity. So you know, it's it's difficult, but I'm. I but I also. Um, And I I have lots of ideas and and I'm you know and I'm happy to churn it out and I think that's why the internet's good because and it may be bad as well uh, because it means I can churn the stuff out and maybe in some ways it might be better for me to take one idea and really work it up beautifully and present it somewhere Uh, but that can't really work on the internet because I you can't you know I can't spend well apart from as it occurs to me but yeah, I can't keep on doing that. I can't spend eight months creating one thing. And with that as it occurs to me, I spend eight months creating, you know, eight hours of comedy so it's not there's still the same ethos of just chucking shit at the walls and hoping it sticks. Um but, you know, I think you have to do that and then with the with the paid stuff I can you know, with the stand up shows and with the scripts I'm writing for the telly, then I can take a bit more time to make them you know what I would do if I had time to to do something so if someone's paying me a little bit so yeah I think I I like what I'm doing and I'm kind of have a lot of ideas but occasionally you know some when I wrote Time, Gentleman, Please which was a a sitcom I did for Sky I did 37 episodes in two years and it sort of i worked really really hard on it got paid really well uh but also no one really watched it and no the reviews were sniffy and and i and i'd really put my heart and soul into it and then you sort of and and we'd done lee and herring same thing we'd work so hard on it and people never you know we didn't really ever reach those you know those levels of uh critique critical success and award success which uh, sort of ma- mattered to me at the time when it wasn't happening um and so you know then you get to the point where why am i doing you know what's the point of doing this and why am i working so hard and blah 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 but you know i'm actually now just at the point where i'm doing stuff because I really want to do it and stuff that I really like and you know you that's what you just you've just got to I think my career's gone on long enough that I appreciate when you're when you're fortunate and it isn't necessarily when people think it is you know and in fact being successful and being rich aren't necessarily great things whereas being able to do what you want to do and being happy in what you're doing uh, is much more important <laughs> so uh, you know even when I'm busy even when I'm thinking fuck I'm doing all this stuff and I have to rush down the country and record this sitcom and is you think how lucky am I you know how how many writers and comedians would like to be in the position I'm in how many writers how many comedians would love to come to Radlet and perform to 60 people you know uh, which I can be sniffy about because now I do better than that in most places but then every now you just check yourself and go you know we've got you've got to You've got to appreciate what you've got so it's you know i'm incredibly lucky to be able to do this as a job i'm incredibly lucky that anyone wants to listen to any of this stupid rubbish i put out um and uh you know and and i've been doing this job for 30 years and and never really had a time where people haven't been interested in what i'm doing or where i haven't been making enough money to live and so you know i I think you just sort of appreciate it so i don't really get you know i i just sort of see it as I, i feel grateful for the um for the opportunity and uh, yeah you know I'm uh, like I've got to write an Edinburgh show this year as well and you know there's a part of me thinking I haven't got any ideas and maybe this is it maybe it's over uh, which is very difficult when you're coming off another show where especially this show which is like the best material I've got and the most honed routines I've got you're going how the fuck did I write that stuff as I write at the start it's very difficult to to you know create that stuff so you worry about you worry about the ideas drying up but You know, I think it's it's still that's what that's why I think to keep churning stuff out is helpful because you you sort of think well look I'm creating all this stuff and 70% of it's all right. You know, maybe twenty percent of it's better than all right. So
1: yeah, yeah. I think I think that anxiety of potentially not having an idea, especially at this point in the year when Edinburgh's yeah. looming, is something that most performers kind of go through. Yeah. I mean, you must be kind of used to it in a way by now because you did Edinburgh. For, was it eleven years in a row? Or? Yeah,
0: I mean, I've done it, but I've done forty. This is my fortieth Edinburgh show yeah. this year. So yeah, I've done it a lot of times, but um, but it never goes away because you never, you know, you always think you, you think, oh, I would probably be all right. But you can never be sure. And then you know, the older you get, you think, what if I just stop being funny? Or uh, So at the beginning you think, you know, oh, I've had a great show, but what if I never have another funny idea? So, you know, you've and you've got to be like, that's human. And you need to, if you didn't think like that, that would be worse, you know, it would be worse. You think, yes, I'll definitely be fantastic. The last two or three Edmund shows I've written have been so easy to write. Um, and have come together so fast. Partly because I just think I've done it so many times I know what I'm doing. And, yeah, you know, partly because I've been quite inspired by things I, you know at the moment i'm not feeling massively inspired in for new stand-up but um uh but you know everything you know, i've actually had a very fecked period with writing the sitcoms and and thinking as it occurs to me it's going to be good as well so um you know it's it's uh i'm not i'm not I'm too worried about it
1: Mm. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't be. I uh, not <laughs> yet. let <laughs> yeah. see. You
0: know, and, and I think that's the. But also, you just get there's loads of things. oh, this is terrible, and you know, then as it occurs to me, loads up. I've got nothing. I got nothing. But the hu- the idea, the humiliation of of that's what's you know. Actually, the podcasts are good because you know you know they're going out to people, mm. and so you can't you you know as much as you can dick around and do some rubbish and and half-assed bits in it. You have to make it good. So you know that fear of failure is what sort of drives you on to...
1: Hopefully, not fail. So you're you're going back to you took off last year from Edinburgh, was it? I've taken two years, two off, years yeah. off. And wh- what's making you go back? Like, do you feel like you need to do Edinburgh still? No,
0: do I don't think you know. I think those two years off showed I don't need to do it because I wrote you know I wrote a brand new show without going to Edinburgh, and that was what I thought I needed Edinburgh for. Um, but it's my 30th anniversary, is part of the reason I want to do like a, you know I did a show called Oh Fuck I'm 40 and I'm 50 this year, so it felt like I should go to Edinburgh to do that show. Um, and you know, it wasn't like I'm saying I'm never doing Edinburgh, but I think you'd, you know I don't think it's Massively uh, pu- useful for me, really. You know, it's it's uh, it's you, you know. I, I I it was you're better off. I'm. Be- I realised I was better off in terms of just doing my show whenever I wanted to do it because I'm just all I'm doing is putting myself up against loads of competition and you know and in a, in a very economically stupid way of doing a show. Um, whereas if I do it on my own in London at any time I want, then you know I'll make money as I do it and and. Uh, so you know there's there's loads of reasons not to do it but I just I really like Edinburgh and it's fun and um, having had a couple of years off I'm sort of ready to give it another crack I think I had a, I had a bad year up there the last time but also it was good because I was taking a couple of big chances and they didn't really pay off but um, but I'm glad that I took the chance you know so I lost loads of money doing a play and uh, and the stand-up show was on late and didn't do as well as usual um, even though I think it was a really good show so yeah uh, you know it's uh it's difficult but then I uh, you know I, I still love edinburgh and I think it's it's given me so much uh, and you get so much out of it really I think anyway just in just in terms of seeing other stuff but I think it does pay for itself you know you can say oh I lost 40,000 pounds this year but I've made money other years but also you've made money through getting work other years and meet, and and having ideas and uh learning what you're doing so you know it's it's good to have something to focus on and go hey I've got to, you know I think again if I didn't wasn't doing edinburgh this year i think i might struggle to write a show because i think well what's the, what am i working towards you know mm. but now i've got to have a show by august so
1: you know I, and i've said i'll do it so
0: i've got to do it i kind of wish i hadn't now
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's just yeah it's a good it's a good yardstick i think most comedians like work to that like year to year yeah. and and i know you did for, for like sort of you did 11, 11 one man shows i did
0: well i did like 11 years in a row but i yeah. done but i also you know i did um, you know i did every year i, I missed 5 years in total until I had these two years off. So, I've missed seven years since 1987, you right. know, but, I, but I'd basically, I'd, three of those were early 90s. So, from 1992 onwards, i missed two, two Edinburghs in however many years that is. So, it's, um yeah, so I'd missed three, I think, and then I missed two, uh, I missed 2000 and 2002, and then I've had, I've so but so I was still doing shows every year. So, I did Christ a Bike in 2001, I think, was it, or 2000? And and then had and Christ and then Talking Cock and then had a year off. Um so yeah, two thousand and one, two thousand and two and then had a year off. Uh so you know, I was doing one man shows. So I've did I've done uh, 12 twelve one man shows in fifteen years and and two of them I did again. I did the second, t- so I did Christ and Bike and Talking Cock again, just so I could
1: get them on DVD, really. If you were starting now, so if you were back when you were, maybe, maybe when you were starting as a solo performer rather than as a double act, yeah, would you have gone to Edinburgh if it was 2017 when you were starting that?
0: Um, I mean, I would, because I think what the thing is about Edinburgh is really is better for new people, and what it is is about learning how to do the job again. It's the same thing. So it's better that Edinburgh has no value in terms of making you successful because you should be going out to Edinburgh for five or six years and just trying stuff out and that's what we did to begin with it was just there was less people around so if you did something quite good you got noticed quite quickly and you know we got we did get noticed through Edinburgh and through other things um, but I think it's better you know something like the free fringe go to Edinburgh don't spend too much money make lots of friends see what other people are doing and learn how to do the job because however good you think you are and even if you're brilliant you'll get better by doing
2: Go to Bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at Bluenile.com for $50 off. Bluenile.com
0: code LISTEN. For t- 20 years. So if you spend, you know, I think like, I, I just think as young comedians, and I was the same, you go, oh, well, you know, wouldn't it be great if I did this show and some of them, the telly came and said, come do your own TV show? It wouldn't be good. You know, in the first year, it would be a bad thing, however good you are, because you'll be better in five years' time, mm. and you'll have more stuff to do, and you won't just explode and disappear, because you'll you'll have worked uh, up a certain amount of stuff. I would say 20, 30 years, really, ideally, but, you know, it's not really uh, workable. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Um, you also tour pretty much after every show. Yeah. And I read that uh, even in 2012, so, like, quite recently, you were just going around on your own, driving to places. Yeah, yeah how How did you deal with like because uh, like i, I presume f- from an outsider point of view, people would more have a perception of oh i've got a touring crew, and he's doing all these yeah know. well,
0: it's always been a small thing for me you know we, when we did Lee and Herring, we had a tour manager and a support, so there were four of us, sometimes five of us if we had a, someone else along but um yeah, no, I mean you know it's not economically viable to do much else, so you now I can afford to, to have a driver, and I think I need to you know i think I think once I got over you know once i got into my 40s it became more difficult i still did a couple of the tours on my own as you say but um you know you're just too tired to do the shows properly because the driving's really difficult (laughs) when you're 35 you can drive back from yorkshire and back to yorkshire the next day you know and and still be okay um but it's just you know so in in just terms of keeping the show professional you want to not be too knackered out Uh, and because i'm more people are coming i can afford to pay somebody to to, to, to come along with me but yes you know it's a solitary but being comedian is a sort of solitary experience mm. so all that's part you know you're just basically doing a gig and then going to a hotel and not really and you know you have a an hour and a half where you interact you know you're interacting with loads of people but you're not on any kind of level with them you're not socializing with them and you can't really socialize with them after a while because it's too weird so you know because the, you they've just paid to come and see you and they are like are a fan of what you're doing and so if you go and have a drink with them they'll just be asking you more about yourself which is probably not what you want to do okay if you're in your downtime yeah yeah. Well, some people might want to but i would <laughs> i don't want to go out for a drink with some comedy fans who want to talk to me about or, you know <laughs> There's a Simon Quinlan sketch or something, you know, If after I've just done the kick, <laughs> yeah. I don't mind ha- talking to you on Twitter about it or whatever. Uh, but, uh, you know, or, or just being in that position where someone's going, oh, wow, you're amazing. Going, no, I, I'm just, want, I want to have a drink now, you know. Mm-hmm. So you end up going and sitting in a hotel and having a drink on your own or just going to bed and not being able to sleep because you're full of adrenaline or driving home or whatever, yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it's a solitary and weird thing and it, you've got that difference between, you know, the being the center of attention and this amazing room full of laughter and then being somewhere on your own which is why loads of comedians go mental
1: (laughs) well i was gonna i was gonna ask how you how how you how you deal with that mental health kind of fluctuation well you know it's easier now i'm a bit older and you know i've got now i've got a much more solid
0: home life uh so i'm working for my family and you know there's a reason for doing it and i've got something to go home to uh, it's difficult, more difficult when you're away because you have people to miss more than you did. But I was probably more depressed when I was, you know, like 2007 maybe when I was sort of touring on my own and had nobody at home and was nearly 40 and, you know, just getting drunk and wondering what my life was going um so you know that was sort of properly depressing so you know you just got to get a grip of what what it is you know so you know, the stuff on stage isn't real the reaction is nice but it's not real either way if it's good or bad it doesn't matter uh and you know you're doing a job and then you're just a regular person after that job <laughs> but uh and you know so it's just and, and then you get used to your own company i suppose and so it's all right um i don't still don't love it i don't love you know i try to get home if i can after gigs i don't love staying in hotels um you know and when you're in your 20s it's exciting you know you're going oh wow we get to go well we get to stay in a hotel and stay out and do what we want and uh, you know we get to fly around the world but now if someone says you want to go to australia to do a gig you kind of go (laughs) you know there's a lot that's a lot of (laughs) hassle whereas 15 years ago wow i get to go to australia with my job and i don't earn anything but i don't you know i'm getting a free holiday um so you know things change and uh and I think you just, you know, I've just, you become, hopefully, you become a bit more centered, but a lot, not everyone does, and not everyone can cope with it. Um, I think, again, I've been lucky because I've had a taste of like being almost famous, and I've had uh, experience of being worrying whether it's going to carry on at all. And so to be in a position where I can tour, and people come and see me, and I make a nice living, and I have nice ha- family to go back to, uh, and, you know, and I'm not too worried about uh, finances yet you know but then, you know you never know where And just need a bad year and it's all fucked up but um you know so it's it's i think again you sort of appreciate how lucky you are so you stop moping about the things that you know people i mean you see on twitter a lot of people going oh god no i've got to go and do this i'm doing this and i'm doing this i'm doing this and i'm working so hard and no oh, it's all my life's awful you can kind of go yeah but that's what you can't complain about those things that's what you wanted and also there's loads of people sitting there's loads of other comedians sitting at home going you know i would love to be doing the things you're doing so don't like make out that you're complaining you're not really complaining about it you're showing off about all the stuff you're doing so you know it's uh it's you know i think that's what you realize you realize you know i think you've got to re- count your lessons realize how lucky you are and stop competing with other people and only compete with yourself and a lot of comedians c- can't leave that competing with other people behind so you're never going to be happy i talked about it in one of the shows i may be unhappy now about sort of seeing you know seeing comedians at, at the jerry seinfeld show and the most famous comedians in the country all in this after show party all kind of looking over their shoulders all kind of assessing which of them was the most successful and looking at the person who was more successful and being jealous of them and you kind of go you've made you've done it you've made it why are you why are you still doing this so you've got to shake off that and uh, you know and so like it's. Weird. I've obviously I've got a double act partner who is perceived as being a lot more successful than I am in terms of being a stand up which I think is is true um, and you know you could let that get you and destroy you but I A find it funny B I'm 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 pleased for him on the whole uh, and uh, you know it's but also it's not uh, you know the competition if it is a competition the competition isn't over but it isn't a competition and you know the, there's no reason to compare yourself to other people you've just got to keep on doing what you're doing and do it as best you can so otherwise it just it would drive you nuts and destroy you so um you know that's what i think i think by having some knocks and by being and the self-obsessed thing person that most comedians are and getting over that hopefully a bit you sort of hopefully get better at coping with loneliness and uh or solitude you know we just become solitude it's not it's not a bad thing i've got a child so a night in a hotel can be quite a nice a uh, break, but like two nights in a hotel, it's like oh, I wish I was home with my family. <laughs> so it's you know, it's uh, it's still not easy, but it's um, but you know, it would be churlish to complain about being able to tra- travel the country and perform in my own right in my sh- own shows, and
1: sometimes have six hundred people come see me, and sometimes have sixty people. come see me. <laughs> In terms of, um, I mean, does it ever annoy you when people say, you know, oh? When they compare you and Stuart Lee. Well, it used to, and, and it annoys me
0: only in that it's it rarely seems to be, oh, they probably uh, have similarities because they worked together for 15 years. Or, you know, it's never like, I wonder if Stu is, is doing that because it's something that Richard did, you know. So they, it, there seems, uh, sometimes it's, uh, it's aggravating to, to be when people, when reviewers will kind of go, oh, there's clearly some influence from Stuart in this, and they never do it the other way. And, you know, and I know the truth, and I know that we both influence each other. And the reason our acts are similar is because we worked together for 15 years. I never even go, you know, I never even see his stuff because I don't want to, um, you know, have that uh, hanging over you that you're being influenced by the other one. Um, But, you know, we're never to win through a lot of the same experiences. So, but no, but, you know, it doesn't, I I think you've got to look at Stuart, and um, he's, he should give hope to all comedians because you know he's stuck to his guns and done what he wanted to do and um has made it really success you know done it very successfully uh and uh and hasn't had to compromise so he's a kind of beacon of hope that you could do that and still be successful mm. um so you know i'm not it's it's insane and also there's lots of you know i think as a stand-up yeah he's he's an I amazing mean, you know it, but we do what we do is still very different but he's also done stand-up for 15 years longer than i have um so and uh you know it comedy isn't just stand-up and there's other things that i think i'm better at than him that and other things that um you know so it it it's it's a whole picture but also i think it's about how happy you are in yourself anyway so so you know i'm not i'm del- you know i'm i can look at all the stuff i've done in my career, and be quite proud of the stuff I've achieved, uh, and so I'm not going to let any you know other people want you to be angry and want you to be bitter about it. And I'm not saying I've never been you know jealous or envious, but you just get to the point where you, there's no point in doing that. And you know, I'd ra- would, I'd much rather be me than him. So <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. So, yeah. How how do you not get bored of doing your show? Well, because you again, you just you concentrate on the on, on making it better every night, so uh, the technical challenge of it becomes really in- interesting. And so, even if you do exactly the same stuff every night, it's different every night because the audience is different, and also you find a different way to do it. But you're basically juggling ten or fifteen different things as a performer. So there's the words, there's the way you say them, there's the, way, the pauses, there's what, how you hold your body there's what you how you gesture you know there's all these different ways of doing st- you know and delivering a line in a different way last night in um Camberley it was sort of like a really tiny gig again and I just you know you're just finding you know doing a routine I've done maybe three or four hundred times and just finding new ways of of lightening or darkening or saying you know just the tone of it not even change the words. sometimes you change the words um, so you know I find that idea of perf- trying to perfect the show and th- that's what's fun about you doing it night after night and you can remember what you did last night hopefully or or half remember what you did last night and think oh can I capture that again so you just by concentrating on the technical aspect of it I think and by tr- trying to become better at what you're doing then it sort of is a fascinating exercise for you and um, and certainly 10 or 15 years ago, that wasn't the case. I'd get bored of a show and, and, and annoyed if the audience weren't with me and rush through it if if the audience didn't seem to be on my side. Uh, but now I will just, you know, if if his audience isn't going for it, I would be trying harder to make them go for it and try and make them have a good time. I think, again, I've much more got to the point where I've realised people have paid money to see me, which is an amazing privilege. But also I should be giving this is their night off, you know. And as a parent, you suddenly go... That could be their one night off a month or a year or, you know, every six months or whatever. So I want to entertain them. And if they're having a bad time, I've got to try and turn that around and make it into a good time for them. So they not get angry with the people who turned up to see you. If if there's a small number of people, um, they're the people who came to see you. So you've got to make them feel good. Um, but, yeah, I just think I've, I'm fascinated by trying to be become better at what I'm doing all the time. Uh, and you do, you know, every six months think, ah, oh, now I get it. And then six months later, I go, oh, no, no, now I get it. So you become just better and better at what you're doing. So, again, you know, it's sort of, I'm really lucky because, you know, I could have done Talking Cock very easily, that could have been like, "Hey, come and do a, a show on TV about Cox and, and then present this, and then present this, and then be on this game show and then panel show. And I would probably never have done stand up again. But because I've, re- you know, I've, I've maintained this level of being good enough for people to come and see me and well known for people to come and see me, but not well known enough to be taken off to do other stuff. I'm hopefully getting just really, really good at being a stand up comedian by just doing it again and again. Um, and it wasn't what I wanted to do. You know, it wasn't what I was interested in when I started. I wanted to you know so i'd probably like to be someone like david mitchell you know when i started i'd like to be doing panel shows and, and sitcoms and you know and just being kind of a witty bomb river um but uh now i see myself as a stand-up you know and so it's you know you just you just keep pushing yourself to get better and better and you get better at it by doing it and you know i've done 15 12 12 shows there's yeah, 12 different shows in 15 years um Which most people just don't get the opportunity to do because either you become too successful or not successful enough, Uh, and even like this, you know, Jimmy Carr does. Sorry, done fifteen shows, Um, but you know, it's very rare for someone successful to do that to do that much work. Um, So, what it is (laughs) because you be, and also it's very rare for you know that's why Stu's good again because he always writes his own stuff, which most most of them don't when they become that successful. But again, I think that's really important. You become better as a writer, you become better as a performer. And, you know, by putting your heart and soul into it, then it means something. And it's not just turning up and, you know, reciting someone else's jokes. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, so that's, that's, I, you know, the understanding how fortunate I am and, and stru- you know, always striving to be better at what I do. Because, you know, I'm, I'm, I've never been that kind of personality who would think, oh, I'm the best, I'm fantastic. Uh, I've always been like quite the opposite of like you know people don't need to criticise me because I will be doing that myself. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, no nice feeling. So but, but yeah. you know but so you just but then you use that to keep pushing yourself and get better. So you know I'm glad that I'm not. I was never the act coming off going yeah I was I stormed it I was the best tonight. I ne- that never I would always come off even if I was the best I wouldn't wouldn't have known it I wouldn't have noticed because I would have been too critical of what I'm doing. But that self criticism as long as it's not self destructive, um, is how you become better at what you're doing. So you know, I find the whole pro—I find you know—performing is just amazing. Weird, it's a weird thing, and I've just got like a voice. You know, half the time you're just commentating in your head about how weird this is. What a strange way to make a living. Um, and, you know, the tightrope of it. You know, why are people? You know, what if people didn't laugh and they are laughing? Isn't that fucking amazing? You're making all these strangers in a room laugh, and how have I done that? <laughs> and, You know, and that will—will it, will it stop? And can you? You know, I have—I have a very critical voice in my head that's trying to ruin the show for me as well <coughs> so it's um yeah it's uh so all, I find all those stuff all that stuff fascinating but I think just you know it'd be nice I hope I do get another 20 or 30 years at it because it'd be just great I'd love to see how how good I am at the end of it I might not be as good but I think I think generally you are you know you do you do get better and you you're learning all the time and uh you know That's what I guess that's the things that annoy me about review you'll get a reviewer in who'll sort of criticize and say, Oh, you know, he doesn't understand this about comedy, doesn't understand that about comedy. You go, You know, I know a lot more about comedy than (laughs) A, I do it. But B I've really thought about things. So the choices I've made aren't casual. Uh, even if you disagree with the choices or even if, you know, you oh, that's a bit of an obvious thing to go, well, you know, if you think it's obvious then maybe I think it's obvious and maybe I'm doing it for another reason than you're yeah. assuming. So maybe you're not clever enough to get why I'm doing it. Yeah. So, you know, so a lot a lot of critics will be like, Oh, he's done something about this subject and that's very hack and you go, No, 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 no subject's hack. No yeah. subject's hack. It's the way you do it that's hack. You can't say the subject loads of comedians are doing that subject. Yeah. So Brexit, you can't say loads of comedians are doing Brexit, so that that's a rubbish joke. It's a better joke if you come up with it if everyone's doing it. If yeah. You come up with the right joke about it. It's a it's a brilliant joke. Yeah. So you know, there's there's loads of ways that you kind of you know you, it's that's sort of, you know it's a weird thing that not many people would be confident enough to be so critical. So many un, unqualified people would be confident to be that critical of someone who was that practiced as, <laughs> as something. Uh, but you know, I suppose that is the critic's job. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. But you know, I think I think it's. I think all all comedians, and the ones you don't like and the ones you think are rubbish, generally think very hard about what they're doing, and have mm. have come to a decision to uh, to do that for a reason. Yeah, uh, it might not be the right reason, or it might not be the right reason for you, but it's maybe the right reason for them. So, um, you know, and I think comedians think much more about stuff than most people think they do.
1: No, I was, I was only laughing because there's. Um the the third joke in my current show. I did a thing last night, right. and uh, it's it's where I say uh, you, there's a rule. Where you have to start with your second best joke and end with your best joke. Yeah. So what comes now is about forty six minutes of filler. Yeah. And this person came up to me afterwards and went, "You should not end on that joke. It's too good to end on." And I, was like, <laughs> I said at the start, "You're gonna you, you got to wait for it, but it's gonna be worth it." And it was like what are you don't give me that feedback like that's exactly what i was working towards but you
0: know you know you you might not get it right it's good to have critics and it's good to be it's good to you know it's good not to assume you definitely know what you're doing but i think it's it's a sort of weird thing where people will i mean that's that they don't make the leap to think well maybe he's doing it for a reason or maybe you know maybe he knows as much about comedy as i do and knows this already so maybe there's something else that I should be thinking about. You know, you could. But that's the problem with comedies is back and forth. So you're double bluffing and bluffing and double, triple bluffing and going back and forth. So, you know, you could be subverting something and people think you're doing the thing.
1: Do you, do you think a negative review affects you as much as it would have done in your earlier career?
0: No, but sometimes they still do. Sometimes it's just weirdly. Most of them I completely just laugh off. But it's like occasionally something will just get you just weirdly so it's you know and and, and it'll just then nag it. every time that bit comes up it'll be that na- there'll be that thing nagging at you in the, in in the voice whatever it was a tweet or something you know but mostly not at all and weirdly often from idiotic comments from people who don't know what they're talking about will just make me so angry that um that they will then affect that bit and I might have to even drop it because I'm you know because then it isn't funny because then I'm delivering wrong so but mostly I you know I don't I you get to the point where you really you know people think like on Twitter, I'm going to tell you the truth and I don't think you're funny. You go, do you think I think everyone thinks I'm funny? <laughs> you know, Because I really don't. I sort of am surprised if anyone th- thinks I'm funny. So, you know, I'm not disappointed if someone doesn't. And I'd be disappointed if everyone found me funny anyway because that would be weird. Um, but, you know, it's not your, your opinion might matter to you, but it doesn't really matter that much to me. If nobody found me funny, that's a problem. Mm. But, like, you know, even if, you know, most people don't know who I am and most people wouldn't find me funny but that doesn't matter as long as you know there's this core of people who do find me funny and i find me funny that's all that matters so you know most of those criticisms you just think well you're weird because you think your criticism you think your opinion means that much mm. and i think again the older you get the more i kind of just think those those subjective things like a taste in music or comedy or whatever are so stupid that you could if you know th- that's fine that's your that's your subjective opinion but to then think oh it makes me better than other people because i like this is crazy because it's like nothing it's not important anyway it's not important what band you like so liking a different band to you know people always didn't like phil collins and you go, oh if you like phil collins you're now but you know you're still just it's all just tinky tinkle tinkle isn't it and i don't like music so that's why i think you know people like getting really obsessed about which music is best you can think it's all just rubbish so you know what your what your rubbish is still still as rubbish as that other person's rubbish. So you know I think to get upset about opinion is is odd. But yeah, sometimes something for some reason it infuriates you but usually no, i don't mind and I, I, I don't i quite like to get a you know criticism that you go yeah i think that is right i think there is something in that so those things don't annoy me it's the ones that i where i feel aggrieved it's like when people when, when i feel people haven't understood that i know more about comedy than they do um but things like that i can obsess about um but
1: um i'm, I'm into uh as in audience ticket wise rather than personally but that's interesting yeah you, that you took that oh you i don't out.
0: think it does i don't think you know I, again i
1: don't think do you think people read the reviews anymore yeah but i think
0: you? you know a lot of times you get a bad review and people go oh that was a good review and you know i went i saw your review and so i came to see because i saw your review i got a three star review in the times it was terrible no I saw, it, so I saw it three stars that was good so you know it's a different perception mm. but it's also just publicity for your show you know so even if i see a bad review for something often i don't like the reviewer and i go oh i didn't know that thing was on i'll go and see that so you know it's that i don't think it i mean if you get stinkers but if you get real stinkers then more people come anyway because um you know they want to see this terrible show so uh i don't think it i don't i think if you get loads of good reviews that can impic- impact on your ticketing but i don't think the reviews really you know i got when i did lord of the dance i tell you, i got really good write-ups so i got amazing review in the scotsman i got pretty good reviews on on that you know given it's edinburgh and most of the reviews are written by Um, People who've never seen comedy before, (laughs) Um, you know, I got really good reviews, and it didn't make any, you know, I didn't get didn't get any more ticket sales as a result. Okay. So um, there's something more to it than that, you know. I think there's and but there is there's definitely like a hill you're climbing, and then it gets you're rolling down the other side. But it's um, it doesn't necessarily follow. But I I don't think a bad review. Well, who knows? I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to say, isn't it? Because the people don't come if, if they don't come, so you don't know if they would have come. Mm. Uh, but you know I I always it seems to me regardless I always get sort of the number of people that I get and sometimes goes up a bit sometimes it levels out for a little while Um, but I don't think it's anything to do with the reviews
1: and in in terms of staying in contact with your fans yeah obviously you're on quite a lot of different platforms do you do you like being on social media does it annoy you too much um
0: I used to really love it and when Twitter started it was amazing and uh, you know I like chatting about comedy to people who like comedy and i like fans of my mind and you know that's all positive and i don't even mind people who don't like it I, d- I don't understand i kind of find it fascinating that someone would seek you out to tell you they don't like you i think that's more interesting than them not liking you <laughs> uh so i kind of i kind of quite enjoy the trolls to an extent as well um yeah and no, i you know i think it's fun i think it, i think most of it's really good um and yeah, after a gig, I'll, you know, if I'm if I'm in a hotel bar and I'll dick around for a bit with people, and people will join in. I think that's that's a really lovely social thing. And yeah, I think the I think for me, the internet and and being in in with all Twitter and social media has definitely helped me keep the kind of fan base that I wouldn't have. I don't think I'd have. You know, without the podcasts, I'm not sure to what level I would be working still. I mean, I think I'd still be in the business, but I don't think I'd be. Without doing the podcast, without Chris Evans filming my gigs, uh, and you know, without com- definitely without coming back to do stand up, but you know, I, the, I, the I don't know where my career would be without the without the podcast really.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask about. I met Chris the other day. I was in um, yeah. Cardiff, and yeah, we were, we were talking about go faster. And I was wondering, like, what impact personally and professionally you you've benefited. from Yeah, I mean, that. it's
0: been amazing because because you know, a he does all the stupid things I want to do. Um, but you know also just being able to have your show at the end of the tour you know like Christ and Mike and I thought were great shows and they just disappeared no one ever wanted to do, film them and then they were gone you know and that was just depressing but then just to Oh, it still exists. Someone can still find it now if they want to find it. It's just really nice. So you know, it just means there's that thing. It still exists. I can still go back and look at it and relearn it if I wanted to do it again. Uh, And you know, it just it just it feels like a a big deal. And then you know, and then you're getting new fans and you're getting a bit more revenue from it. Increasingly, less because DVDs aren't really selling. But um, you know, it's not really about that. It's more about the. uh, But you know, having Chris and having that means to film things cheaply and having someone keen to make things happen who isn't interested in anything other than making comedy that he likes it's just like amazing so i think without that and without you know without doing the podcasts and um yeah i don't know i mean i'd probably be writing i think i'd probably be doing comedy i'm not sure i'd be performing as much it's hard to know i mean you know if i if i didn't if i hadn't got to the point where touring became you know it became a way of me earning enough money to live on for the year really um, by doing three or four months touring, but it would ten years ago, it certainly wasn't that. Um, then without that, and you know, I don't know where I, because it means that I can do all the free stuff, and and you know, I earn money still for the rest of the year, but from other things. But it just gives you that freedom, uh, and I don't think I'd have the, without the podcast, I wouldn't have the audience, and I think without Chris, maybe
1: I wouldn't have the uh, have that as well. Okay, you quick fire for me. You take as long as you need, but obviously, yeah, fair enough. Okay. Um, what is the best show you've ever seen? <sighs> Um, difficult to say. Billy Connolly did it. We went to see him in
0: the late 90s do a show at the Hamster of Apollo, which was just like a real masterclass in keeping a big audience engaged, but still doing crazy, sprawling stories. So that's probably,
1: that was one one of the ones, certainly. Okay. What is the biggest mistake you've ever made, and how did you overcome it?
0: Um you know i don't you know it's hard it's hard to quantify I but again i think it's that the, the mis- making whatever the mistakes are they're really they're more important than the than the uh the things you do well so you overcome them by learning from them and moving on um so you know like i don't know we didn't see we did we could were writing on the day-to-day and we ended up not writing on the day-to-day but i think the reasons we ended up not, not writing on it were good but you know that could that was it felt like a disaster at the time because it felt like and was it sort of dis- i was correct it felt like we were absenting ourselves from the monty python of our generation which we sort of were um but you know then you get on and do something else cool <laughs> who,
1: who is the most <laughs> underrated person in the comedy industry it is me
0: <laughs> uh <laughs> and there's loads of you know some of those br- brilliant loads of so brilliant comedians, simon munnery broodby grathos fantastic there's loads of people who are great, and they don't push themselves in the same way as uh, the people who are successful do. So most people will never hear of them. I think Simon Munnery is, you know, might be. Aside from him, not you know, he he's he he doesn't always come up with loads of new stuff, but the stuff he does is just so phenomenally good. But he's not, you know, he's not interested in the world that uh, getting to that other side of the world. So you know, he wants to be this figure that he is. I suppose so. Maybe okay. he's re- maybe he's rated correctly. I don't know.
1: Uh, what is the biggest problem in the comedy industry, and how would you go about solving it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, there's loads of stuff, but I think, and I, but I think, you know, you can. I think you, you, lots of people are looking for reasons that they themselves are not doing too well, or why they, you know, why they're been overlooked. And and I think just you've just got to get on with what you do and, and enjoy it for itself. So I think probably. You know, that the comedian's own attitude is as much as a problem as all the things that are annoying and are wrong. Um, I think, you know, in TV terms, not. I think what I would change is I would go back to just the executives choose people they think are funny and think they know can do stuff and then just let them get on with it. And I think that that's what's really changed on TV comedy. And that's why Stuart's an exception that he's been, you know, all the things that good. Armando Yanucci, let him fucking get on with it and he'll produce fantastic stuff for you. And that shit, Ricky your Base, let him get on with it and you know, he'll make he'll make what he makes. And uh, you know, so you've just got to they've got their job should be to choose the people who are good, not to tell them the people what they should be doing or putting together teams of people. You you know, you should be trusting the talent really. And I think if you do trust the right talent you'll get the best
1: shows okay last question mm-hmm. if you could go back to any point in your career yeah. and give yourself one bit of advice you wish you had at the time what would it have been um well you know but there's I don't I've, the, all the things I would. I
0: did wrong and that I still do wrong I don't think I'd want to change anything um you know I think it was all you know I'm not good at networking I'm not good at um pushing myself and uh trying to think of there's any point that i could have gone back and changed anything you know so i wouldn't go i wouldn't i wouldn't say i wouldn't go back to the day to day and say you should do the day to day. uh because i think it was probably right for us that we didn't we you know and what you lose it's what all my time travel stuff's about it? what you lose is so much you don't know where you would end up if you, you even if you would made yourself incredibly successful you might not be as happy um i don't know uh kill Stuart lee the first time i met him okay <laughs> that would be it no i'm joking i'm joking um i, I don't know i wouldn't so i i wouldn't really want to change anything I'd, and and it's it's sort of w- weird because you know i think i, I w- if you'd asked me 15 years ago i'd change loads of stuff uh but uh maybe just me more confident uh and that you know well maybe maybe carrying doing stand-up but again i think if i had carried on doing stand-up i would have been a different person as well maybe i should have per- persevered when i hated doing stand-up in the early 1990s but you know why force yourself to do something you don't not ready to do and would it would it have worked would i've would i've been the person i am now if i'd done that so uh i think you just have to be quite fatalistic about it once things have happened nothing you can do you can affect things in the future uh but uh be better at remembering who executives are. So when you see them a second time, you go hello to them rather than not realizing who they are. Um, but I still can't do that. No, I'm not a good person to ask, ask someone successful what they, <laughs> what they would do, because that, they, that's why they're successful.
1: Okay, well thank you very much for thank coming. Thank you. In. That was Richard. I love his work ethic. I love how he manages so many projects and family life and just manages to keep motivated and keep going even with his struggles and anxieties and just I feel like everyone could learn something from him I feel like I I have a lot of friends who complain about writer's block who complain about uh, you know sort of self-imposed deadlines and not being able to sort of stick to them and I think it's a good habit to get into the fact that he's able to stick to deadlines the fact that he's able to push himself and go right how many projects can I do how many podcasts can I make how you know why should I wait for a tv commissioner to to give me the permission to do this when I can make it and put it up myself and if I get enough people to donate to it, I might even be able to break even on it. So that's something I love. That's an ethic that I really stick behind. That's something that I'm doing as best I can and and hopefully building an audience for myself. Uh, Yeah, I hope you got something out of that. I hope you found it as motivating and as inspiring as I did. I I I can't thank him enough for giving up his time and for supporting the podcast. If you want to thank him, his Twitter handle is in the show notes. So please do go and thank him. It really helps out to thank the guests because it means if I need to ask a previous guest to put on another guest or to put me in touch with a future guest they're more receptive to do it because they're like oh there's a really good audience there that are listening to the episodes and are really appreciative so if you can and if you're on twitter please do tweet him and say thank you if you got any value out of it as I said before uh, myself and Richard are both at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival Richard is at the Pleasance Courtyard every single day at 7 30 p.m doing a show called Oh Frig I'm 50 the prices will vary on the day depending on whether it's a two for one or a special offer or whatever have a look in the show notes you'll be able to find him he's also doing a tour after the fringe i am at the edinburgh fringe in sweets venue every day except wednesday every day except wednesday when i get rudely awoken by the dustman uh, at 5 p.m uh it's five pound uh, if you want to reserve a seat or it is pay what you want on exit so please do come and support me it would be really really appreciated as uh, yeah i put a lot of work into these and if you like hearing my voice, you might like seeing my face as well. So, yeah, please do support me. If you can't do that, if you're new, please do subscribe. If you're old, please do give us an honest review on iTunes. They really help. I'm, I, I've sort of... I need to find new ways of saying these. But, yeah, they do help, and they and they mean a lot. They help chart positionings. They also help with future guests to know that there are people coming on. and It's, it's just useful. Just seriously, leave a review. It doesn't take very long. You can do it now while I'm talking. I don't mind. Also, you can donate money to the podcast to keep it going. The uh, website is simonkane.com. There you can donate a one-off on PayPal or you can just sign up as a Patreon, which means you give a certain amount per episode, which uh, starts at $1 because it's an American site. $1 is about 80p. If you think this is worth 80p, please chuck it my way. If you want to give more than that, if you want to give more than a fiver, do consider just buying my book. My book's called How to Make a Living by Working for Free and it is about building a community around your free content online and asking them to support you in order to keep it going. Much like what I'm doing right now. So if you'd like to buy a copy of that, there's hardback copies of the book, but there's also digital downloads from £5. So if you'd like to do that, you can. It gives you something back for your money. That'd be really great. That'd be lovely. Thank you so much. That's all for me from now. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for donating. And thank you very much for coming to see me at the Edinburgh Fringe. If you do, I'll see you all in about 15 days time. Bye.